What's going on, friends? This is Ro from the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. You're tuned in to the Coruscant Radio Underground. May the Force be with you. fans to another episode of Coruscant Radio Underground, presented by TheScienceFictionary.com. I'm here today with Marisha. How's it going? And Daniel. Hey, everybody. And we're going to do our, kind of our first deep dive into The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and if we have enough time, we're going to talk about episodes seven and eight of The Mandalorian, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to make time for that. All right. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you finish The Mandalorian? Daniel? I did. All right. Yep. Everybody's all caught up on all the Star Wars. Yep. All right. So, yep. so we've seen it. Me and Marisha talked a little bit about it on an episode that we dropped last week or mm, over like the weekend. 10 or, minutes or so. That's about 20 right. minutes. But we got a little episode out there. But Daniel, like you haven't had a chance to like give us your first take on the movie yet. Um, well, I have seen it twice now. So, okay. But... My first take on it was I left out of it just elated. And but the biggest thing was like I I felt there was a lot of things in that movie just didn't make sense. But I enjoyed so much of the big geek out moments that I was just like, screw it, I'm just going with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not even gonna ask the questions, don't care. Don't it was just a joyful experience as a star wars fan mm-hmm. that i that that was my first impression of it seeing it the second time was much better because i actually had a chance to let it all slow down mm-hmm. and actually take in the movie for what it is and i still enjoy it you know it was the the first experience is such an emotional one that mm-hmm. yes it's hard to really process it as the movie it really is uh the second time like i said was much better i processed it all a little better i was able to pay a little more attention and didn't spend so much time just geeking out over right for lack of a better word the fan service there's a lot of easter eggs in that movie that you know and and things we all kind of geeked out out about when those moments first happened yeah, for sure. So just the story of it, it, it does, like I used the term the second time it slowed down because a lot happens in this film. The first third of that movie, it really feels like that's Abrams trying to give us as much of the information that he would have put in his second movie as he could into the first third of this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that Cause, completely. Because he needed, he needed to set up where he wanted the story to end. Right. And not making not making episode eight himself, he hadn't had a chance to do that yet. Which I guess we're gonna get to those issues later. I don't want to get too deep into them now. If you're just wanting my first impressions, that was kind of where I was. It sort of really jumped from point to point to point the first quarter or third of the movie. It was very expository. Right. And then and then once the real story of the movie got going, it all flowed a little better. Right. So, yeah, no, those I mean, are my first impressions. Okay, yeah, there's no doubt it's a little bit, it, it feels a little rushed. 
And, and, and that's why, I mean, like, you know, the reasons that you just gave are exactly why it feels that way, because there wasn't, there was some information that needed to be given quickly to catch us up to where he was going with the ending. And he didn't want to give it all to us in a crawl. It was too much to put into a crawl. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. I mean, no, I mean, when we heard the emperor talk, what, 10 minutes into the movie? Yeah. It's like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, (laughs) I thought that was going to be like second act sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I at that was the point where I was like, well, I guess that's why they dropped that in a trailer, because it was sort of information you needed going into the movie. Yeah, I feel like in some ways they kind of use the trailers and the buildup as the um, interlude in a lot of ways. Well, they did. They did that big thing on, um, and, and some people have really griped about this, but they did that, the, the whole message that's referred to in, in, in the crawl. Uh-huh. Have you watched that, Daniel? The, the uh-huh. Fortnite event, the voice actually, it, it occurs in during a live Fortnite event, hmm. which I thought was kind of neat. Cause, and people were saying, well, I shouldn't have to do stuff like that to get the movie. It's like, you didn't, it's just a little extra yeah, thing you if you wanted it. Right. 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 And if you were lucky enough to be there when it happened on the, you know, without knowing it was going to happen, it's just that much. Didn't ask the experience a little bit. Absolutely. But didn't have to have it. Right. And that's kind of been one of the gripes I haven't liked about this is, well, I, you know, I shouldn't have to read this book to understand or, you know, read this comic or we'll play this video game. And you didn't. No. But I, I've heard that complaint a lot. But I mean, if I'm just being honest, like, Rise of the Resist or Resistance Reborn, that book, one of the books everybody's referencing. Mm-hmm. Right. After seeing the movie, that book means even less. Like it absolutely means nothing because the Resistance wasn't reborn before this movie started. No, right. It's like, like we went through this whole movie really with no organized military campaign against the first order at all it was just i don't know and see when i talk about things in movie not really making sense the way all of a sudden i guess i don't i don't want to like jump into these things not knowing when you want to get to them in the in in the show so and we're gonna kind of start going through our list here and then we'll kind of start getting into the these story points that are Mm -hmm. either work or don't got our list marisha the one of the main things we wanted to talk about was ray the obviously the big is Ray Nobody versus Ray Palpatine as a story point. Um, you know, one of the more uh, contentious, we'll say, dis- uh, not, not contentious, one of the more divisive d- decisions, creative decisions um, in the movie. So what's your hot take, Daniel? Y'all already know I was a fan of Ray not being connected to any of the previous characters. Mm-hmm. That's... That's what I wanted. Yes. That was what I thought made the best story. Let's focus on the idea that, you know, anybody, you don't have to be part of some special bloodline mm-hmm. to be the hero of the story. That you literally can come from nothing. Um, that's That was an idea I enjoyed more than the idea of her being related to anybody. And... I get the idea that, well, she's a Palpatine, so she's the granddaughter of the most evil villain this galaxy's ever known, but she's not tied to her. That that doesn't have to be her legacy. She can make her own path. She can mm-hmm. make her own destiny. Mm-hmm. I get that. But you know what? 
that's a story we've seen before. You know what I mean? Like with, that just it just it just simplifies it again. Let's we have let's really but, yeah, but let let's I didn't you know I enjoyed the idea that she would have come from nobody. Mm-hmm. That was I didn't it, because and I still think and yes I know the point the Skywalker saga. Okay, fine, but she's still not a Skywalker. And my whole idea was that if we make her related to characters we've seen before, you're still just shrinking the universe. So you still maintain even, you know, because there are some things that I kind of was pretty insistent on before that, you know, maybe I feel a little. So you still maintain that you liked Ray Nobody better than Ray Palpatine as a concept. Yes, that's a more interesting story to me. I, I mean, maybe, but I still contend that we already did that story. With the prequel, that Anakin is nobody from nowhere. No, Anakin was created to be a special being by Palpatine. No, that has been yep. absolutely denied by the people who wrote that comic book. That Palp that Anakin was not created by Palpatine at all. But that was one hundred percent when that movie was made. That is exactly what George intended to imply with that scene. Well, I, with with which scene? Oh, with the the. Um, the opera scene. Well, although yes. I think he was implying that that's what Sidious was insinuating, but he's also a lying son of a gun. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, no, but, but I'm, but I'm that's still... Not, but no, because in that scene, he's not trying to tell Anakin, I manipulated Millicorians into, into forming you. He's trying to tell the audience that's what happened. Well, Matt Martin, who is part of the story group, and Charles Soule who wrote the comic book that brought up some issues or brought up some more questions about Palpatine's involvement in the creation of Anakin Skywalker. I saw this today. Okay, because Matt Martin... It's just a retcon. Maybe, but Matt Martin, his information there came directly from the fact that George Lucas insisted up until his last day at Lucasfilm that... He wanted the creation of Anakin Skywalker to remain somewhat of a mystery. You don't buy it. No, he did. I buy it. He wanted to remain somewhat of a mystery. That's why he didn't spell it out. But he wanted to put the idea in your head. But all I'm trying to say is you said we saw the story of coming from nothing in the prequels. But most people left the prequels thinking what I thought just now was the case. Although, I mean, I feel I always felt like Anakin... I mean, as far as he was concerned and everyone else was concerned, he was nobody. I mean, obviously, he was somebody, it turns out. He's important. Isn't that yeah. the same case with Ray? I mean, she's yeah. clearly not just nobody. There's something remarkable about her, even if her parents really were junk traders who were buried in the desert. Right. So even if her story starts off as she's nobody from no- nowhere, by the end of the movie, she's not nobody. So... Well, correct. I, my, my only point is I didn't need the idea that she has to be part of one of these special bloodlines to be special. Right. But then I didn't need that. But then I guess we get into the idea of within the force, are midi-chlorians, our force abilities or whatever we're going to go with here, are they passed down generationally? Are they passed down through bloodline? Or does the force, literally the cosmic force, control who has this power and who doesn't? It doesn't seem like the father had any power. If he did, he wasn't powerful. If right. he was, but no, I do think to a certain extent, and we've and and it's been alluded to, and it makes sense, and I'm fine with that. To a certain extent, being force sensitive can be hereditary, mm-hmm. right? You know, like like I mean, Luke 
one of the most famous lines of the entire saga is Luke's this force is strong in my family. Right. You know, I mean, which is fine. I've got no problem with that, but you don't always have to be related to a force sensitive character we've seen before. Well, presumably most of our Jedi weren't. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of right. uh, uh, Right. Exactly. I'm just talking about for the purposes of this story, I didn't need her to be connected. Right. Right. You know, honestly, though, for me, because I mean, I don't know about you, but I've got some blights in my family tree. Some pretty horrendous blights in my family tree that I hope that I didn't get anything from. But it's always in the back of your mind. Like, you know, I mean, what 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 if I inherited some sort of predisposition from somewhere way back there to be a terrible person? And the idea that. You know, I think a lot of people like the idea that you don't have to be from somewhere special to be special, but I much prefer the idea that you can be from someone evil and you can choose to be good because that doesn't have anything to do with who you were born to. It's it's the idea that we get to choose the light and we get to choose the good in spite of no matter what even if we have all of the predispositions to the darkness, that we don't have to be that person. Yeah, and I think the bottom line is, is I think I like the concept of both themes. I like the, the nobody from nowhere. I also like the, the, the rising above your past or your, your family, you know, rising, rising above wickedness in your background to become mm-hmm. someone great. Both themes are great. I would yeah, have been. I, no I would not have. The way we went. Yeah, I would have had no issue had we gone the other way. I don't mind the way we went. Um, exactly. Um, now I do have to ask because you said that you were going to walk out of the theater if something happened and it did, or it, it, at least they they made us think that it did. You said you would walk out of the theater if Chewbacca died. <clears throat> yeah. And I, and I wanted to know if you just if you started gathering your belongings when when that uh, transport no. blew up. I did not, and I'm going to tell you why. All right. Because because I had already seen him in previews in scenes that had not happened in the movie. <laughs> not being serious. That's no, what yeah. went through my mind. Yeah. Because I did get pissed for a second. I said, wait a minute. Right, but you hadn't seen him run down I the hall. I haven't seen him flying the Falcon yet. with Lando yet. Right. He's not dead. <laughs> That's so great. I was good. But that, no, that really is the reason. Like, yeah, that happened. <laughs> and then I had the thought in the back of my head. He, hadn't been in the, he has not been in the Falcon with Lando yet. Right. Yep. Well, there we go. You thought, I'll never hear the end of this from Andrew if I don't get up and leave this theater right now. Oh, wait a minute. You actually, that it. never entered my mind. <laughs> I, I actually forgot that I said that, but I know myself well enough that I was correct in my reaction because... I was pissed <laughs> for just a second. And then yeah. I remembered, oh, Lando and the Falcon. Right. And I did. Yeah, okay. I kind of did the same thing. I was like, no, no. I started like trying to rationalize like how he survived this. Because like mm-hmm. he can't be dead. Like there's no way they're after all the stuff that has happened, after all the grief that has been given to Disney and Lucasfilm over the way some other characters have gone out, there's no way Chewie's going out that way. No. Off screen. And I did, though, like, upon my second viewing, I noticed the second transport mm-hmm. sitting there next uh-huh. to the first. Yeah. So I was like, okay, all right, okay, okay. All that's right, that's yeah. a little more fun they threw in there with the throwaway line. There really were two transports. Now I see the second one. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, there it is. Ha. Huh. Didn't even notice that the first time. Wasn't okay, paying so attention. I guess the other big thing, because we kind of went back and forth on this, on what we wanted and what we thought would happen. But what about Ben Solo's redemption arc? <sighs> I'm going to let Marisha go first. You're going to let Marisha go first. Okay. The Marisha was very... So I, want to, so I want to see her reaction to it. Okay. Because what, Marisha had opinions? There's a shock. Um, what about this one with the whole Raylo thing? Yeah, I did. So. I had very strong opinions about the whole Raylo thing. Um, and honestly, I did not feel like he deserved to live happily ever after. And as far as Ben Solo's redemption, I feel like that was really the only way for the story to end. Um, honestly, I feel like whenever he chose to throw away his lightsaber to make a different, choose a different path in life, I guess, that he, for the first time, actually earned the right to even sacrifice for her. Because I feel like every interaction he had ever had with her up until now was selfish. He wanted something from her. He wanted something emotional from her he wanted something whatever he he wanted something from her and this was the first time we had ever actually seen him have an interaction with anybody that was not self-serving he actually you know he didn't go in there trying to manipulate her he did not go in there trying to jerk her chain he did not go in there wanting anything from her the only thing he wanted was for her to come out alive and so i feel like whenever he gives his life force to her and dies that he had that was the the first time we had ever actually seen him earn the the position of being able he had finally put himself in a place where he could actually make a sacrificial decision and for them to end with with a kiss and him dying i was okay with that um, because I felt like he had finally, he had finally done something unselfish. And, and I really felt that was the only way for his story to end because it gets a lot more complicated if he lives. So your, your argument is actually, or your, your perspective is actually that he was, his redemption moment occurs on the Death Star. Yes. That his redemption moment as it plays yeah. out in his own head is his conversation with Han. Yes. The, the, this moment of connection he has with both of his parents. Yes. As Leia, whatever Leia's reaching out to him is, they didn't really explain mm -hmm. that. I'm fine with that. I didn't need exposition yeah. to tell me that it was her last effort to reach out to her son. And then the moment with Han from Starkiller Base as it plays in his head and he makes the decision that he should have made the first time. Right. Okay, so that's my hot take. What's your hot take, Daniel? <sighs> okay, so... The moment on the Death Star that mm -hmm. we're talking about. And when Ray tells him, I did want to take your hand. I wanted to take Ben's, not Kylo's. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So we get a little farther into it, replaying the moment with Han that Andrew just pointed out. That is the moment where he decides to work towards some redemption. Mm -hmm. In my mind, until he gives his life up for Ray, he has not earned that redemption yet at all. That's okay. fair. Yeah. But that that's that's a moment where he decides that he's going to try to earn it, that he's going to try to do the right thing. It's his conversion moment, for lack of a better 
Right. That's that, that's his moment where he decides to, where he has that epiphany of, look at the freaking life I've lived, the choices I made, and I did it all for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. That's his moment of, that he's going to try to do the right thing. Yeah. But there's no redemption for him till giving his life up for Ray. Mm-hmm. And I still don't, because I'm one who had the whole thing about Kylo being more irredeemable than Vader. Still believe that, by the way. Right. Yeah. <sighs> it still doesn't erase all the evil things he's done. No. But he does eventually make an ultimate sacrifice because there was, like Vader, and that's really, mm-hmm. and we all know, that's all J.J.'s ever tried to do with the two films he directs, is he has paralleled the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. He, he does have that one ultimate self-sacrifice at the end. Yeah. That was still some good in him. Yes. And I don't think they just needed those moments from, and I was, because one of my other points about Vader was Anakin spent his entire life with Palpatine in his ear being manipulated. Mm -hmm. Well, we do get that moment in this movie where Palpatine tells him every voice you've ever heard in your head. Mm -hmm. So he's done the same thing to Ben. Mm -hmm. He did to Anakin. Yep. And so that, that helps a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because my, what I had always kind of thought was Kylo made all these decisions himself. Right. Ben made all these decisions himself. He didn't have to contend with Palpatine. Well, now I found out, yeah, he did. Right. And it it, it, it does kind of help these, but I don't want to get into a trap of where we ultimately forgive people for all their choices. Right. Because ultimately, and if you choose... I think, I think the way they handled it, though, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think oh, no. the way they handled it, though, the film doesn't try to do that. No. No, and, and but I agree. It, but, it, but it does give him a moment where he can commit an unselfish act and try to do the right thing. And he, he could, I don't think he was ever capable of that before. We had never seen any indications that he was capable of being unselfish. And so he finally earned the, the right to do the right thing. You know, almost. Yeah. Um, by choosing to now, I don't think that he deserved to live happily ever after. Well, that's actually the next topic I want to get into because there are a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, one particular side of the fandom more than the other, that are very upset that we didn't get a fairy tale ending. That right. they didn't live happily ever after. Right. So, but there's there's no way to make I, I, because there is no happily I, ever after. after. after and I, Andrew and I have talked about this before. In the original trilogy, if 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 Darth Vader doesn't die at the end of that movie, mm-hmm. what do you think the New Republic government does to him? Do you not think they're going to make him pay for his crimes? No, they try him for war crimes. I mean, like, you know, exactly. what? Uh, Hitler's like, oh, y'all, I just realized I made yeah. a terrible mistake. Well, good on you. You murdered millions of people knowingly, willfully deliberately murdered untold people for your own selfish gain and for your own evil agenda. Right. right. So and, that and, doesn't and unhappen. Stuff, but at the end, I quit my job. No, right. no, no, no. Right. Yeah, no. So exactly. I, I think the way it played out was the best resolution for the story arc and for Raylo. That if you're going to go that route, like if you wanted Raylo, this was best case. Mm-hmm. This was, the best yeah, version your, of you that. You get your moment of confirmation that, okay, yeah, but 
oh, by the way, they don't get to live together. Right, because you're only, you only have two options. And both options have been done in Star Wars, one in canon, one in Legends. Option number one is the Vader, the way Vader went out. Right. Sacrificial death. You know, he, he laid his life on, his, on the line for someone he loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the way Kylo went out. That's, he, he, ultimately, he got what he always wanted. Yeah. To be his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Got to, to make the ultimate sacrifice for the one person. And by doing that for the galaxy at large. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because but Vader's, Vader's sacrifice was directly for Luke, but ultimately for the galaxy at large. Mm-hmm. Same with Kylo's. Um, and, I mean, really, that seems to be... that If we want to talk about what the Skywalker story is, it's one of sacrificial death. That's how Luke goes out, too. But, now we've um, seen Vader and Luke and Leia and Kylo Ren. It's basically how the Skywalkers seem to kick it, is, you know, that last moment of sacrificial love, which, I mean, yeah. it's not a bad way to go. So your only other option was what was done with Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, you know, Revan even though he's the hero of that story, created or, or caused all sorts of atrocities. Mm-hmm. At the end of Knights of the Old Republic, knowing that there is no, even though he has redeemed himself with the, it, it's, we talk about redemption and what, what we really are talking about is redemption. On a personal level. Well, on a personal level, but also in alignment with the cosmic force mm-hmm. or the living force. Yeah. And, we're not talking about redemption in the eyes of the galaxy. Right. This is this the the, the redemption within the alignment of the force is far more important in, in the grand scheme of things because from what we know people who are on the dark side don't necessarily get to go to any sort of good There's ending. no dark side heaven. Right. <laughs> so now Revan's ending is that he finishes his goal, he stops the Sith and he disappears. Mm-hmm. He goes to wander the outer regions for the rest of his life and is never heard from again, at least in Legends. You can do that, but you still don't get your heavily, your happily ever after unless Rey goes with him. But we've already established that Rey is very important to whatever is to come afterwards in yeah. rebuilding the Order. I mean, that's what a lot of people wanted. A lot of people wanted them for to get on a starship and for everybody to give him a gesture of forgiveness for them to just leave. Right. And that I did not want to see. That is not what I wanted because I feel like that is problematic on so many levels. But I mean, like this narrative that poor Ben had such a terrible everything and that's why he was a mass murderer. Right. I'm sorry. Well, but see, that's not what the movies tell us or the books or the comics. There's no material out there that tells us that Ben Skywalker had a bad childhood. No, but that was Ben's perspective in Force Awakens. That was his own projecting right. that right. himself. Well, that was his story, but I'm sorry. A lot of us had bad childhoods. Hello, how are you doing today? Um, and we don't go out and murder people. And if we do, then people aren't like, oh, poor thing, she had a bad childhood. I'm sorry. If I go on a killing spree, then my behind goes to jail. Everybody doesn't paint me as some sort of hero because I'm not as pretty as Adam Driver. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and let's not kid ourselves. That's what it all comes down to. You talk about the, the, the eyes of the fans that are yes. upset about his death. Yeah. It's because... A lot of them claim they were Raylos, but they really weren't. They're just hardcore 
Kylo Ren fangirls. And by the way, while we're on the topic, like you mentioned, Adam Driver by name, <clears throat> he, how good is he in this freaking movie? Man, that so good. Easily one of the <laughs> best performances awesome. in any Star Wars movie ever. Yes. It absolutely is. He is way, he's, first of all, he is, you know, as far as that level of talent for an actor, mm-hmm. he is one of the, and we've talked about that before, this cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Oscar Isaac's been nominated for an Academy Award. Right. You know? Yeah. And we didn't, I don't know, it's just the level of talent in this cast we've already talked about before. Well, yeah, and, and I feel Adam, like... Adam Driver is better than in this movie than any actor has ever been in a Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and Harrison Ford went on to be one of the most well-respected actors we've ever had. Mm-hmm. He never gave this level of performance in a Star Wars movie. No. You know, and it, it's just, I was really, really impressed. Yeah. The, the, and yeah, I don't know how else to put it. No. He's well, the really good in this, in this movie, the death star scene with Han and, mm-hmm. um, and, and Kylo, you know, is acting wise is like the best scene in, in, you know, any Star Wars movie because you've got two extraordinary actors on. And I've always liked Adam Driver, but I don't think I gave Adam Driver enough credit because he, he it was like, oh, he got cast because he's tall and he's got a deep voice. It sounds like but, Darth Vader but you behind know what? that mask. It wasn't just him. Like Daisy Ridley really stepped her game up Daisy in this Ridley movie. Daisy Ridley is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and John Boyega really stepped his game up in this movie. Um, yeah. I have not been a huge fan. I like John Boyega. I haven't been a huge fan of the Finn character. I do feel like they straightened out some of my problems. I still have a little bit of an issue with a force sensitive child hiding under the nose of. The first order, yeah, that yeah. long. Yeah, we were going to get to that too. Well, um, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. Well, we also alluded to the fact that because here's the thing: the whole sinking in quicksand and Ray, I never got a chance to tell you. Let's go ahead and clear that up for people who thought he's going to profess his undying love. No, no. They spend the whole rest of the movie giving you the clues. Yep. Finn's force sensitive. Yes. Okay. He also gets the moment uh, whenever the, when they're fixing the Falcon with the other band of troopers that yeah. escaped right mm-hmm. that they all refused to do it and finn says i know it was the force he's basically trying to tell her it was the force speaking to us mm-hmm. it's the whole idea that their connection to the force helped them break their conditioning which i actually think is cool as hell yeah I love yeah it. you know that's that's a that's a cool idea you know i do because feel that like was, that was an issue in yep. force awakens was how did did how, how in the hell are your troopers able to break this conditioning you've been giving them since birth? Right. Well, the, the ones who've done it all have a certain level of force sensitivity. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, you know, we don't necessarily know to what level they may be able to reach. Like, you know, nobody's going to, you know, we haven't had any kind of allusion to Finn being Ray or Luke or being level of force sensitive, right. but it's there. Right. Well, we, we've know. been building this idea, and even going back all the way to, to Rogue One, that there are force-sensitive people out there that mm-hmm. they use the force differently. Like Maz Kanata. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting idea and concept that, right. yes, they have 
some level, or at least on some level, were open enough to the Force mm -hmm. that it it guided them out of harm's way. And I think you're right. I think it does help with the whole, how did your brainwashed soldiers just all of a sudden shake that off? Because um, yeah. that's a, that's problematic in The Force Awakens. So it, it definitely gives more of an ex explanation uh, more and a little more plausibility to that, I think. Although there is still the question of how did they live under the the nose of the first order for all those years and, and nobody catch on. Well, wait a minute. Unless a they're not, the unless we're not talking about that's... people that are power, they're not future Jedi. Yeah. They that's just true. have some sort of openness mm -hmm. to the force. Correct. And it's not like people in command in the first order are directly force sensitive either to be able to detect them. That's true. I mean, it's not, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So That's basically, the, they're not powerful enough. They're not force sensitive enough for Snoke to notice, and their direct superiors aren't noticing anyway. Is that kind of what we're going with? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's something yeah. like that. I mean, but it's not even necessarily that they're always in tune with the force. Yeah. Right. The force. The force touches every living thing in right. some way. So I, I like that. Even um, and that, that actually kind of changes the whole Finn idea for me. But yeah, as far as the acting quality in this movie, they everybody stepped their game up so yeah. much. Knocked it out of the park. I think Daniel was trying to say something else about yeah. the Finn and the Force. What, what, were, what were you trying to say, Daniel? No, just that we've also haven't ever really established how Force sense really works. Like we've seen... Leia be able to know when Luke was in trouble. We saw Finn in this movie know when Ray was in trouble. We saw Ray yeah. felt. I mean, we saw Ray feel Leia die. Mm -hmm. But it's not like you can pass somebody on the street and go, "Oh, he's force sensitive too." Yeah. And, uh, because even because even with using Finn as an example, Finn can sense when Ray's in trouble, but he didn't sense that the other group that they had run into were all also force sensitive. Mm. Yeah. He had had that conversation first. So, yeah. you know, most of the time that we see being able to sense each other through the force is when you already have a connection and a relationship. That makes sense. But I feel like, and you know, I kind of maintained that I really, really was confident that that J.J. Abrams was going to tie up a lot of the loose ends way nicer than anticipated. And I really feel like he did. I mean, mm -hmm. even things like that. Yeah. So... That being said, just to because I figure we're probably going to be at least for the next several episodes diving deep into themes of this movie. Mm -hmm. So, but I do kind of want to get through the the entire story arc. But so kind of before we move into the third act, uh, the only other thing I really wanted to talk about tonight was like the new characters. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, we kind of talked about. I mean, we've got new characters. And I'm fine with the way they handled them. I mean, new characters weren't going to get that much time in this movie. There wasn't enough right. time. And people are upset about characters from previous movies not getting enough time. And it's like, there wasn't time. Right. Like, it's like, why? you know, people are real hung up on that. It's like, no. what were you going to do with these characters? Like, these, yeah. these third-tier characters in this story, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with the characters, but... Mm -hmm. You can't waste time on them in this movie. But, There's already too much story to tell. But as far as new characters that we did get introduced, because this went back to more the way we were introduced to and used 
new characters in the original trilogies where new characters pop up and they help you through the story. They don't necessarily become the new fixtures, new fixture of the story that you started with this group and you end with this group, but there's characters that help them along the way. So, I mean, the big new character, who is there? There's, there's Bab- the stormtroopers. There's well, Babu Frick. Mm-hmm. We get Jana. Jana. We get Zori Bliss. Bliss. So what did y'all think about the way those characters were used? In the movie, or just what did you think about those characters in general? People have gone too Babu Frick crazy. <laughs> yeah, some people are a little nuts about it. I, I liked that. I thought it was a fun lore character like we've had yeah. before. But, I mean, some people have gone, like, absolutely nuts over Babu Frick. But, like, uh, let's not go, like, Baby Yoda level crazy here, okay? <laughs> because you Baby know? Yoda, nuts not kid ourselves, is the cutest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I'm still pissed off that we even call him Baby Yoda. It's not Yoda. Yeah, apparently, John Favreau is not a fan either. Well, no, because it's not Yoda. <laughs> Favreau knows what I know. That's going to get confusing later. You cannot call this character Baby Yoda in the marketing. Right. But they're going to because that's what stuck. Yeah. They should have given it some kind of name. Other than the child. Well, but yeah, but they were going for that very spaghetti western theme where you go through and you don't know people's names. Yeah, but, but you're you know not them trying to sell flushes trait. of the mysterious, <laughs> well, nameless character. I mean, let's be let's, honest. Let's the, the, the reason child. that the toys weren't out there is because that was the only way to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going to get to the Mandalorian in a minute. But I mean, I kind of want to know more. I, I mean, I don't think. I don't know that any of these actors will ever come back to do another Star Wars. So I don't know how far you can go with it. But I mean, I would like to see more of the Zori Bliss character. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we may see more of the Janna character down the road. Yeah. Um, just because of how they're going to tie her in. I, a, a, supposedly a big part of her story got cut out for time. Um, that they're saying is still going to be in the novelization. So I'm, I'm curious to see to see what that is and... I mean, heck, let's see her and Lando go on an adventure. I'd be down for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked her, though. I think she was my favorite new character. Overall, yeah. I mean, Zori Bliss kind of gets the, the Boba Fett effect that is just like cool-looking character. Mm-hmm. And she's got that little bit more of a sullied past. Yeah. So it just off the bat, just kind of a character's like, yeah, I want to know that story. So, so yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what I want to talk about with the new characters. But I guess going forward, like... The big thing here is the way this story pans out because I'm just going to start by saying I I really love this ending to this trilogy. Yeah. I don't know that I still feel like, and even more so now, feel like Six, Return of the Jedi, is the end cap for that arc. And that continuing this as part of the Skywalker saga might have been a marketing mistake. Yeah. Yep. And, but now taking it by itself as its own trilogy, I I really dig it. I just, I I think that it should have, I don't think they should have ever attached the tag Skywalker saga to this story. No, I agree. I I really, I like the trilogy Uh, as its own thing, but it does not feel like the end of the story that started with episode one. But it does actually. Okay. That, That whole that if, if you look at that story as being one family or group struggle against Palpatine specifically. Yeah, if you look at it from the Palpatine. All nine films. Right. 
But where that bothers me is now all of a sudden, how much of the end of Return of the Jedi have we cheapened? That it, that 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 struggle didn't really end with Anakin's sacrifice, right? Or with all the things Luke and Leia and Han did and fought for and struggled for. None of it really meant nothing. Palpatine was still alive and still pulling the strings for 35 more years. It's a valid point. So now we'll say in, in answer to that, or kind of as an aside to that, like, because some people have taken that to a different place where they're saying it completely negates Anakin's sacrifice. And I don't agree with that at all. Do tell. Well, okay. Anakin sacrificed himself for his son. Like the fact that the emperor lived on. That wasn't the point. He was really just trying to save his son. Right. But like you said a few minutes ago, he did it. He sacrificed himself to save Luke, but ultimately to help the whole galaxy. Okay. And this whole, he's supposed to be the chosen one to bring balance to the force. That was George tried to make that connection for six films. Mm-hmm. Like, but he didn't really accomplish destroying the dark side at all. Apparently. Yeah, I mean, they seem to have been weakened, but... Well, yeah, but that's where we're talking about this idea of can you destroy the dark side or is the dark side always going to exist? Like, if it's not going to always exist in some fa form or fashion, like, there's no story left to tell. I, I, I know that. I'm just... You know what I'm... You know. <laughs> it does kind of... It does kind of feel like it cheapens six to me. It just... It does. Yeah. Because that story doesn't really in there it's it, it doesn't have the finality that we always thought it did right it um, was just kind of like well these people aren't as special as you thought they were because it's going to take a whole other generation of people and another however many years to actually end this struggle i mean though that being said world war ii was not a failure just because all of the thing the nazis stood for are still lurking around and they are there are yeah, still, still Nazis. That war, though. But it ended that war. It ended that threat. It ended that global domination push. And so maybe it only delayed the inevitable. I guess that still remains to be seen. But it definitely ended. It ended that particular tyranny and that particular right. evil. But we're talking about, so in the in these films, as in the real world, you're never truly going to completely vanquish evil. Right. 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 But we stop Adolf Hitler and his regime in that war. Right. So episodes four, five, and six, and Star Wars, the, the Empire has been likened to the Nazi Germany since the beginning. It was done on purpose. So we're making right. a good comparison here. Four, five, and six were battling Palpatine and his empire. Mm -hmm. And you end six with the idea that that is over. Now you made seven, eight, and nine, and Palpatine was never dead. Well, maybe we so say... You, did it, you didn't accomplish in six. What you intended you, to. You, you cheapen... I just feel like you cheapen the ending and the sacrifices of six and the things all those characters did through those three movies by having that part of the story in seven, eight, nine. Right. That, oh no, wait, now we're really going to kill Palpatine in this threat. We didn't really do it 
Right. 30 years ago, told y'all we'd. Well, in fact, um, I saw an interview with Ian McDermott. He said he was asking George Lucas. So what you think? You think maybe he's like, no, he's dead. He's dead. He ain't coming back. Yeah, I'm so curious. Like, I don't know if they'll ever tell us more of Palpatine's story in this gap between the movies. But I mean, like, you know, somebody says something about death. He said, I died before. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. it's like, okay. And it's like, so I, my, my question was when we first meet Palpatine is like, is he alive or is he more of a wraith? You remember me start one of the first statements I made was there's a lot of things that this movie don't make sense. It's at least not explained. Yeah. 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 I mean, I do feel like I've died before is kind of figurative. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? His his followers from Exegol recovered his body, kept him alive. I mean, he's hooked all these machines. Yeah. Right. You know, his his physical body was badly damaged. Yeah, but I mean, this is still for this is still to me the same human being in the same body we saw right. him in episode six. Right. Right. But I mean, just to, you know, if if he if he didn't have a pulse, if he you know what I'm saying, if they managed to reanimate his body, he could still say he died, but he's still you know kind of alive-ish. He's kind of zombie zombie-like. He's definitely got Palpatine's awareness. That body's in rough shape. Yeah, it's the same body. And yeah. the whole thing about he created Snoke. Well, but was Snoke his own individual, or was Snoke literally just? A, a puppet body that Palpatine projected his conscience into. Yeah. Like, I need more, I need more definition to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? He's just the tank full of Snokes. It's yeah. Snoke in a jar. <laughs> they don't market that. What are they even doing? <laughs> Gosh. It's like you can get like a big jar of Star Wars brand pickles, but in the jar with the pickles is there's a Snoke. Wow. But I'm, I'm guessing it's the second one that Snoke was just a puppet body that Palpatine could project his conscience into in a way because he tells Ben, I'm every voice you've ever heard in your head. And it definitely seems that way. It could be. I mean, Snoke's definitely used puppets. You know, he used Dooku and he used Darth Maul. And And Palpatine. And what did I say? Snoke. Oh, yeah, Palpatine. But I, I think you're right. I think it's it. It seems more likely that Palpatine, that, that Snoke was basically just a a sham, just a visage for Palpatine to possess, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense why Snoke was so ridiculously powerful, though. And how he just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. We can talk about this stuff all night, but another topic I thought we might get to is how much disconnect does this really make? with The Last Jedi, between the rest, between the other two movies of this trilogy. Because it sticks out like a sore thumb to me now. It does. I do think that J.J. managed to move forward with some of the more important things. There weren't a lot of really important things in The Last Jedi. but I, I almost feel like we don't even need The Last Jedi anymore. No, you can start uh, advocating the new machete order that cuts uh, eight out of the watch order. Why do you need it? You really don't. Uh, the only thing that it does for us at this point is sort of a, because, and, and we talked about this the other night on on a live stream with uh, Scarif, was mm-hmm. that these characters just kind of sat stagnant mm-hmm. in, in eight. Like nothing really moves forward. Like, it ends basically where it started, except you're in an even weaker position. 
And the only thing that eight does for us at this point is gives us, begins to give us insight into the connection that Ray and Kylo have. Honestly, right. I went back and watched the Last Jedi after after seeing the Rise of Skywalker the third time, and I I feel like it it works better because a lot of my issues with the last Jedi were just that I felt like I was, I was concerned about the direction I thought it was going to take things, but since things didn't go in the, uh, the dreaded direction, I could appreciate kind of the threads that, that they kind of picked up and, and ran with a little more. Yeah. And I'll say in fairness, I haven't watched rewatched eight since I watched nine, but I do think that it carries over some important themes that weren't necessarily, delved into yet in seven that allowed JJ to do some of the things with the force bond be- between Ben and, and Ray. But ultimately it still falls. When you look at it as a whole, it's the weakest film in, in the bunch. Yeah. Kind of like the prequel trilogy. Ugh. Like I love me some episode three. I don't love me some episode two. But we, We've talked about last Jedi before. And this one, I don't know, but you can tell just the fact that JJ needed different things to happen in episode eight to make his story work really just makes you question the wisdom of the way Last Jedi was made at all. Right. Well, it's kind of, you've got this whole thing going on now where you've got all these people that were adamant Mm -hmm. after the Last Jedi that... Oh, yeah, they had a plan all along. And now those same right. people are they coming out and going, well, I, I guess they didn't. It's like, no, they didn't. We've tried, been trying to tell you that for like three Two years, years now. Yeah. They, they did. I mean, and it's, this movie just makes it more obvious. Right. That no one ever had a conversation with Ryan Johnson of this is where this story has to end. And this is what we need you to do to help us get there. Yeah. Still, still make your movie, write it, direct it. That's what we want you to do. But as an overall story, this is where it's going. And right. at least the original trilogy, even though George did not write the full screenplay or direct all three movies. He still oversaw it all. He still, right. He still, the overall story was his. And I'll still contend, I think they were trying to recapture that magic of having different people write it and direct it and whatever without the pivotal linchpin of George Lucas to be the story master. Right. But it didn't have to be George Lucas. There are other well, writers. It, it, but, just anybody. No. So, but at this point, it, it should be pretty obvious. And hopefully this is the big note that Lucasfilm and Disney take away from this whole thing. Because honestly, for them... I think the biggest reason that they're kind of taking a break after this movie is mm-hmm. that they've got a little bit of restructuring to do in how they approach these things. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. the the whole thing is, it's like, yes, you need a producer. And having one producer over the whole thing, that's great. But you're, yes, the producer that you had over it wasn't isn't a creator. She's not a story person. And you needed that one creative mind... To keep everything to say yes, write the mo- write your movie, but like 
these are your guidelines and these are you have to stay within these lines. Basically, they need this Correct. either that or the story group needed to have some authority to say no That's no, this is say. where it goes. Yeah, cuz it appears all that the story really group needed, has All we no really need was a story group. This is the story we're going through. Right. Act it, 1, Act 2, Act 3. Yeah. Right. right. And it appears take that even take the story points for Act 2 and give us a screenplay. Right. It seems like really the main thing the story group is doing is policing continuity. And honestly, they've got some very well-qualified people on that. Yeah. I think that they might that might be their best bet is for the story group to be the person that says this is the direction. It either appeared that the story group did not have enough power to say no. Uh-huh. Or they didn't know when to say no. Yeah. Well, no, but my my whole point is I don't know that when they went to make these three films that anybody sat down in a room and said, this is where the story's going. No, I don't think that let's ever happened. Sure, let's, make, let's make sure all three films help us tell this story. Yeah. Nobody, they didn't have, I think when J.J., when they asked J.J. to make one, when they asked him to make Force Awakens, I think J.J. had it in his head he was going to do all three, so he was going to be able just to do it as he went. Right. And then whenever it was decided he would not be making the second one, Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm were like, Ryan Johnson, we'd like you to make The Last Jedi. And Ryan went and made the movie he wanted to make. Right. right. And nobody ever actually gave Lucasfilm or worked with Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm didn't ask anybody to do this. What's our story going to be for this trilogy of films? Right. That never happened. Yeah, and that's a perfect place to transition into our final conversation for tonight, which is The Mandalorian. Because you've got a multitude of directors, you've got three different people writing scripts, and you still wound up with a, co with a cohesive project because you had Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau overseeing mm -hmm. the whole thing so that their vision was realized even right. when other people were taking the reins. Yes. You will notice who gets the story credit for every single episode is John Favreau. Right. He sat down and wrote this story beginning to end. And, okay, let's put a team together to tell this story through eight episodes. That's it. Right. And I think there were only, how many screenplays were written by someone else? Two or three. Um, Filoni wrote at least one. He might have written two. And someone whose name I can't recall wrote episode seven. I'm sorry, episode six. Favreau wrote seven and eight. Yep. But anyway, but that that's kind of where I want to transition to is this needs to be the model going forward. The Mandalorian is the Mandalorian is doing things for lack of a better term, they're doing things the George Lucas way. At least the old school 1970s, early 1980s George Lucas way. And honestly, very much the way that Lucas did Clone Wars, from what I can tell. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. Clone Wars was, a, I think, a lot more like Lucas did his original movies than the prequels were. Right, where he, he had people that were doing it, and they brought ideas to him, and he either said yes or no. Mostly because I think George Lucas wasn't qualified to work in the medium of animation. Right. So somebody else had to do it, which I think really was really, really good for um, the story. In fact, somebody was, was ranting about when uh, somebody I was talking with online was going on about how much they hated Anakin Skywalker. 
Um, and I was like, you know, basically it kind of comparing him to Kylo Ren. And I was like, so why don't I feel this way? And I started thinking about it. It's like, because the way that I feel about Anakin Skywalker isn't primarily taken from the Attack of the Clones. It's taken from the Clone Wars series. Yeah, where the character was really fleshed out. Yep. And really much, much more likable than he was in Attack of the Clones. Right. He was kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard people say that. And I watched it the other day. I was like, okay, I see that. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't like mm-hmm. me watching her when she's sleeping. Oh, go figure. <laughs> anyway, that was a tangent. Um, so, yeah, back to... Yes, the Mandalorian. All right, so we it's kind of already talked things. about. No, we can kind of talk about it as a whole, but we we did talk about episodes one through five. But I think really, let's talk about the finale, the, or the the two part finale, mm-hmm. seven and eight. It's the best Star Wars since Return of the Jedi, since the original trilogy ended. This is the most Star Wars as far as what carries forward the spirit of the original trilogy. There's nothing that comes close no. to the Mandalorian. No, it has been excellent. Everybody likes it. The old fans Mm -hmm. like it. The new fans like it. The kind of indifferent fans like it. And that's just proof that if you tell a really good story... Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be divisive. Daniel, you hadn't really gotten to talk with us much about The Mandalorian. Like, what did you think? No, I have loved the entire series. And it really... There's a couple of episodes that kind of feel like filler they don't propel the overall story forward but the one with uh bill burr bill mm-hmm. burr and clancy brown where they raid the prison ship it's a cool episode it is but they're coming Plays back nothing like, to I... the overall start the, the only thing the only thing you really do in there is, is i think we'll probably see these characters in season two you're 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 doing you're telling stories the dave filoni way with those two episodes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those are going to have some sort of lasting ramification way down the road somewhere and probably so but but the point i was going to was you almost feel like could have been six episodes well six 30 minute episodes makes three hours you know what when you film whenever you film a movie and then after you edit three hours worth of movie you get down to about two and a half it feels like you could have made a movie out of this yeah yeah and and originally if I'm not mistaken, Favreau's original script was for a screenplay, was for a feature film. It feels that way. Like if you take out a couple of the episodes that just feel like filler, you end up with a really good Star Wars film. Like this mm-hmm. could have been do. one of our a Star Wars story movies. Right. And a nice character development and a really great arc for our main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen him grow a lot, and that's important. Yeah. Uh, we but have. I, but those two yep. Those other two episodes, I really enjoy. I'm glad they're in there. But you're right. If you too. if you remove those, you basically have a really good movie. Putting those in there, though, gives us... We do get some character growth from The Mandalorian in those episodes. But I think we set up some really cool possibilities down the road. And it gave us and an excuse I'm for a whole bunch totally, of cameos. It did. But I'm not totally opposed to a more serialized monster of the week, if you will, type episode yeah. occasionally. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of my favorite shows, those are the best types of episodes when Mm -hmm. we're not necessarily, when we're able to step away from our main story and just have a fun adventure. Some of the best episodes of Firefly are like that. Mm -hmm. The best episodes of the X-Files are like that. All the best episodes of the X-Files are like that. All the best episodes of Stargate are like that too. It was whenever they got into their real long convoluted story arcs that it got less 
good. Right. And if you were doing, that's the other thing. If this were a 20 episode season and you had a few of those, you'd think a lot less about it. But when yeah. you know you're only getting eight and you go, stop wasting time. I want to go, I want to know right. what happens. Yeah. That it, it kind of amplifies the, how much you notice it. But I did like the characters that were introduced in those episodes, particularly yeah. in the it. episode with Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes. I'm really excited to see those. I mean, I never would have thought like, I mean, he pulled that role off so well. And I, I really fantastic. want to see those characters come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the big thing, oh my gosh, when we finally got to meet Moff Gideon. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what a terrific villain. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And that is, that's what he's good at. If you ever watched Breaking Bad. Or you ever watched Revolution? Yeah, he was the he was the villain in Revolution. He this this is the role he's good at. Uh huh. And it's he's perfect for it. And then the last shot of that episode yes. talking about Moff Gideon. Oh uh, yeah. Are we? Is this spoiler field or what? Um, so I think we're going for spoiler, but let's go ahead and uh, just we we didn't give a spoiler, spoiler announcement before the Rise of Skywalker stuff because. It's going to be in the title, but since we're doing the Mandalorian, uh, yes, this is going to be spoiler filled. So if you haven't watched the final two episodes, step away, go watch those episodes and come back. Okay. So how many people do you think now? I wonder how many Google hits are. What the hell is a black lightsaber right now? (laughs) (laughs) People didn't watch Star Wars or Rebels. Oh, I'm sure there were tons, but I mean, it works like it's. Because of where they told us this guy knows everybody's name from uh-huh. and all this other stuff, it's like, yeah, it makes sense that he's got that. Did I you fell out of my freaking chair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and a whole bunch of other people. Did you see Sam Witwer on Twitter? Mine. That's mine. Mine, mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hashtag mine, hashtag mine, mine. <laughs> Oh my God! Actually, speaking of Sam Witwer, you know what I would love to see Sam Witwer anything in Star Wars? Yes, give him a live action role. Yes, Absolutely, for the love of and a, and a big one, not a not a cameo, not no. just like a one off. Like let's put Sam Witwer in Star Wars. You know who else is a really good actor that I would actually like to see have a real role in Star Wars? Is hey, go ahead. Shoot, I lost his name. Uh, Matt Latner, who voiced Anakin in the Clone Wars. Well, Matt Latner's dead now. He's I know. They killed him. He was wearing a helmet. We could pretend like we didn't see that. But no, I am with you. I, in, in fact, there was kind of some, some talk going around that maybe originally Matt Smith had been cast as the son. And I was like, why on earth did they cast Matt Smith as the son? Okay, so If they're going to do the son, then they should have Sam Whitward be the son. So Absolutely. But everybody's out there screaming for Old Republic. And by all accounts, that's what we're getting. Mm-hmm at some point here soon, mm-hmm. is going to be something set in the Old Republic. Please let Whitwer be Revan. Oh, that would be great. Um, he's a great actor. He's not just a great voice actor. He's he is a great a, actor. He's a very good actor. Yeah, he's a very good actor. Um, so of course, I know Daniel probably excited about this. I'm really excited about it. The, the door is now open, and the actress actually gave us a little indication. She kind of let out that she was working on something that she couldn't talk about is this opens the door. It opens the door wide for Katie Sackhoff to show up in season two. It's Bo-Katan. <sighs> Love me some Katie Sackhoff. Yeah. We're all pretty, just... pretty excited about the upcoming things on the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Mandalorian is going, it, it's, it's just a fantastic show. And yeah. the, the turn, like if we're really gonna get into these last two episodes, 
the turn it completely took when Moff getting opened fire on his yes. own people. Yes. Like, okay, I'm tired of this Man. little underling who works for me with the big attitude right? getting in the way. Bye bye, like, crazy. And, and that just that completely sets the tone for who Moff Gideon is. Mm-hmm. He is not a nice person. No, that was <laughs> uh, that's whenever that was that was one of five or six oh shit moments in these last two episodes. Uh huh. Yep. Um, I really like what they did with some of the characters we got to see because we always we you know we were like they have to bring IG Eleven back right and yeah mm-hmm. they did and they did it in such a fantastic way. Yes. Yep. My feelings are still a little hurt that they killed uh, Kuil, uh, Nick yeah. Nolte's character, because yeah. I felt like that was one of our. I, I just it was, was such a good character. character, but we still got Cara Dune, who is a mm-hmm. just she is she has exceeded all of my expectations in that role. Oh, yeah. She exceeded everybody's. Yeah, she exceeded everybody's. So, uh, speaking of of characters that, were, that are still around, do we think that that was Moff Gideon? Who showed up at the end of the episode over Fennec Shand's body? No. Slash Fennec Shand. I think, I think it's maybe possible, but I don't know that we would see him out there without an entourage. And I think That's true. had we had had that been him, I think they would have given that away in the final episode. I really thought we were going to find out what the deal was with that before the season was out. I didn't but think that, they were going to. That is, as Andrew says, that's a Dave Filoni episode. Yeah. That's something for season two. Yeah, that's true. I really hope we get to see Ming Na win again. Oh, yeah. yeah, we will. Yeah, I hope that character's not dead. I, I'll be curious to see what they do there. But oh, how, how about the two stormtroopers at the beginning oh my gosh. of the finale? That was epic. Hilarious. And all I could think was Tag and Bink. Yeah. Tag and Bink. Andrew that, knows what I'm talking about. I do. I about it actually Bink. made me think. I don't know if you ever saw uh, Bungie's old cartoon, Machinima cartoon that they did with Halo called Red versus Blue. Yeah, I know what you're talking it about. It was the most Red versus Blue thing I, I, I've ever uh-huh. seen outside of Red versus Blue. And it wasn't really Tag and Bink because Tag and Bink were actually good guys. Right. But just the bumbling. Mm hmm. Idiotic dialogue. Just it reminded me of Tag and Bink. So Trying much. to shoot that thing and they couldn't hit it. Mm-hmm. And the guy's looking at his blaster pistol like, is the barrel bent? So he holds, I don't know if you caught this. He holds it up next to his head and he shakes it. And, yeah. he, and, it, and it makes the sound like a spray can, like a spray paint can rattle. Uh-huh. Yeah, I did notice that. Uh, and you can tell, like, and we know. Favreau wrote it, but it's, a, it's Taika Waititi directed that episode, and you're sitting there going, I wonder how much of this script Taika tinkered with. Like, that right. is such oh, Taika Waititi dialogue. Absolutely. <coughs> yeah, there, there's hilarious. a lot of stuff that goes on in that episode that I'm I'm absolutely certain that... that it's they, like, oh, now try this. ...that he was able to give some input on that script. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It was the perfect finale. Yes. Yeah, because you get you get those moments, and then not even five minutes later, you basically get Mando's complete backstory. Now we've yeah. got it. We filled in the blanks, and it is tragic, and it was an a tense, emotional mm-hmm. few moments in that episode to actually get to see what happened to him as a child. Yep, and the explanation of why he's a Mandalorian. Right. Um. 
And I love the fact we got the explanation and we, and they, there is no exposition to it. There is no gray area. They said it point blank, black and white. Mandalorian is not a race. It is a creed. Yes. It is a lifestyle and a philosophy you choose to adopt. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be Mandalorian, which yeah. Andrew and I, I forget who else, we had a little Twitter exchange where this conversation came up. And it's, it's, I, I, I love this. This is what I wanted. This is where I thought we were going with it. And it just, it, it completely adds to the lore yes. of Mandalore. Well, and it also works really well for the whole Jango Fett isn't a Mandalorian. Mm hmm. Like, even if exactly. he is, even if he has, he never followed the ideals of it. Right. Right. Well, we almost get that moment. I mean, I, I go all the way back to the moment with John Favreau's character, the the heavy heavy infantry mm-hmm. Mandalorian, where you know he's like, you know, you say you're a Mandalorian, you know, he says he's a Mandalorian, but dines with Imperials, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where he questions, you know, our main characters whether he's whether he's really upholding the creed. Right. So yeah, I think that opens some interesting doors for a for a, a Boba Fett or Django connection, or at least to give us some answers. Well, and I mean, because I think clearly, once upon a time, Mandalorian was a race, and I think that's yeah. pretty clear. But, but at this point, we've adapted. It can be both. You can be born on Mandalore, mm-hmm. but not necessarily be well, and, Mandal- and Again, that fits, because we know that Django was born on a Mandalorian planet. He was born yeah. on Conquered Dawn. But yeah, I think we're going to get a lot more information on on Mandalorians as a whole, and I'm here for that. I'm I'm excited. I hate that we have to wait till next fall or oh, this, last, you know, to well, see any more of it. But we will be getting Clone Wars between now and then. We do. We get Clone Wars in February, and they're going to do the Siege of Mandalore. So in the meantime, we're going to get a whole more bunch more exposition on the Mandalorians, which. Uh, how do you feel about that now, Daniel? I know that before this show came out that you basically said, I just don't care. Any Mandalorians don't do anything for me. Correct. Uh, they, they do now. <laughs> <laughs> but the, they've done more in this show to make Mandalorians more interesting to me than they ever have been before. Yeah, yeah for mean, sure. It's, because now, not only do I enjoy just our main character, I want to know more about what it is to be Mandalorians and, and I just uh, the whole honor system thing just mm-hmm. I enjoy so much more of the lore now because we're getting to explore more elements of it that are interesting I'm now a Mandalorian fan I'm a fan of the show I'm a fan of the whole the whole kit and caboodle concept, the whole concept of Mandalorian I, I get it now it wasn't someone's doing anything for me before. Now it is. Well, and I think that's the point I of this also, show. Also loved, also loved watching the blacksmith kick yes. ass yes. with a hammer and a pair of tongs. <laughs> wow, wasn't that something? <laughs> was badass. Yeah, no, I was because you kind of go like because I mean there was part of me was going I don't want this character to go out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she didn't. No. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, that was really a punch in the gut moment when he walks in and the pile of armor is laying in the middle of the, the floor. Yeah. It's right. terrible. You know, that's what this guy's past is. That's there wiping them out. I mean, yep. he attempted to wipe he, the Mandalorians out once like, before. And and how much though does Din Djarin, which is actually, we can say it now, that's, Mandal- right. that's Mando's name. 
Like you get that moment where he walks in, he sees that pile of armor and it's like a gut punch. Yeah. Because he's the one who his actions in episode three brought them out of hiding. Right. Right. You know, and so here's this group of people who took him in and raised him as a boy. Yeah. Yeah. And now like they're it, going. That was a that was a gut punch. That's the first thing that entered my mind was, yeah. what's he feeling right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and it is it is it is a credit to everything about this show and to Pedro Pascal. You can't see his face, but the just him as an actor. Yep, just with his body language, and also though with the way the scene is written and the way it's filmed, and just it's a credit to everything about that show that that emotion is able to be conveyed without us being able to see the character's face. Yep. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's just, well, a lot this freaking show. Yeah. And it says a lot about the characters and the attachment that we've already gotten for these characters mm-hmm. that you can give us one line that, that adds so much depth to the character. Like, you know, getting the last little bit of his story tells you so much. Right. And then just the one line of Kara Cynthia Dune of Alderaan. Yep. Right. And you're like, oh, yep, shit. That was another, that was one of the moments I had. I said yep. there's about five or six of them. That was one also. Oh, man. It's like, okay. Well, and I think we also got a really interesting insight to why the Mandalorians showed up. Because she tells him he's a foundling now. Mm-hmm. You know, that child is a foundling. He's your responsibility. This is the way. Yeah. And, and so now, all of a sudden, that now it makes sense why they showed up and came out of hiding. Yeah. Because the foundlings are the future. So right. how so how fast do you think they get product shirts to the market with, with the Mudhorn signet? <laughs> Pretty fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. I love the fact that now she did make in the Mudhorn signet because... Mm-hmm. He didn't take it the first time because he didn't defeat the Mudhorn by himself because he said an enemy helped him. Well, now it's not necessarily the case. That child was never your enemy. You defeated the Mudhorn together. You're a clan of two. This is now the Mm -hmm. symbol of your clan. Right. The two of you earned it together. That's great. I just... I think we're going to probably have to wrap it up there. I want to talk... I mean, we're going to have plenty of time to talk Mandalorian. And I think probably going forward, we'll we'll take a deep dive into some... Try to kind of pick out some individual themes from The Rise of Skywalker. Maybe go deeper into The Mandalorian. And we ought to start getting production news soon on all three shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited. So... I'm super excited about Star Wars TV right now. Yeah, Star Wars, the, the TV is definitely the way forward, but I think even the movies can take a big note from the way The Mandalorian was produced. Yeah, I agree. All right, Marisha, you have anything on the internet you'd like to share? I've got an Instagram, um, Princesses and Padawans on Instagram and uh, princessesandpadawans.com. And um, I haven't been super busy there because the holidays have been killing me, y'all. But the holidays are about to tie up. So I'm going to take pictures of all of those costumes I killed myself making for the children for the, the movie. Get some of those things up there. So, yeah, that's what we're that's what I'm that's where I am on the Internet these days. I'm occasionally on Twitter. I'm what P Padawans on Twitter, yep. I think. Yeah. Daniel. Um, I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. All right. That's basically it. 
<laughs> All right. And uh, eventually, have you have you had a chance to check out any of the new comic book stuff that's coming out? No, I haven't. Uh, as everybody knows, I mean, Christmas. Yeah, it's I'm a, working 12 hours a day. Yeah. I've got Comic-Con coming up this weekend. I've got all kinds of crap going on. So, Okay. So. Um, I have not had as much time as I would like. Okay. I just wondered, because I know the, the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book started driving uh, issues. but Now, I will tell you, I will make a special effort and time to research and answer anything any of our listeners would like for me to read and review or any kind of questions you have, I, I will I will take time out to do that. Just just let us know what you want to hear from us. Awesome. All right. And uh, I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can also drop us a line at Coruscant Radio Underground at gmail.com. We always ask that you go leave us a review if you get a chance at uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Is, those reviews really help shows out. So any show that you enjoy, go drop them a review. And until next time, may the force be with you.